0: Alrighty, welcome to Beyond 8 Figures. Yay, it's Steve okay. hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Oh, hello. Hello, Mary Goulet. What's up, Richie O'Tey? What's
1: going on, Steve? How hello. are you,
0: my brother? Doing and great. here on Beyond 8 Figures, we do sit down with entrepreneurs who have either exited for more than $10 million, or currently run businesses that gross more than $10 million annually. And we get to the bottom of exactly how they did that, whether it's starting, scaling, and exiting, we cover it all. And uh, very much looking forward to hanging out with our guest here today. Uh, If you guys are unfamiliar with our other show, we do another show uh, called Reinvention Radio. It's it's an awesome show. We've been doing that. uh, I've been doing that off and on since 2009. And then we've been Hanging out and doing that together since, what, 2015 now or something like that? Or 2016? S- something 15, like that. 15. 15. Yeah, right? I yeah. know. Crazy. And uh, and so on that show, we sit down with amazing people of all walks who have reinvented their lives and now are doing amazing things as a result. So you can check all that out at ReinventionRadio.com. And uh, we also broadcast live every Thursday, by the way, folks. So do try to join us either at ReinventionRadio.com in the first hour or beyond8figures.com in a second, sometimes vice versa, it just depends on uh, the guests and their schedules. Uh, but you can also join the conversation at 866-977-2346 when we broadcast live. And uh, we'd love to have you in on that conversation. And, uh, and of course, we love the ratings and the reviews and the subscribes and all that fun stuff. So thank you for doing that. And um, let me just do a quick shout out here to Dr. Carol Joyce, who took a moment to review uh, Reinvention Radio and uh, and just really appreciate her taking a moment to do that. She was talking about reinventing the high-fat diet life. She said she found the episode to be very interesting for the wave of keto diet that's uh, going on right now and to know it is helping uh, all age groups not just to lose weight but to heal is very hopeful and helpful Love the direct questions of Steve and Mary and Rich. Learn two new things for women with whom I treat keto, specifically helping polycystic ovaries and children leveraging keto as well. Thank you from Dr. Carol Joyce, from New York City. So thank you, Carol, for leaving us that review on the other show, Reinvention Radio. And let's do this because we got a lot of ground to cover here with a very interesting Gentlemen and uh, Clea, I know we, uh, we we were able to get you set up there on the video. Let's try uh, let's try your audio. How you doing there, my friend? We got it working.
2: Um, yeah, I think so. Can you hear me?
0: Can yeah. loud and clear. All well and good. That is a beautiful blue wall sitting. See, this is why you guys got to watch the video uh, as well, and uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and you can check out the videos here of our sit downs uh with our amazing guests as well what that that is a beautiful blue wall what are, what are we looking at behind you man a couple of really nice windows where are you at in the world
2: uh we're in the malibu topanga area of los angeles yeah nice well, that explains the the beauty
0: behind you and you weren't uh, you weren't caught up in any of that fire stuff were you
2: yeah we were in an evacuate uh, evacuation zone so it was pretty harrowing there for uh, several days
0: yikes uh, yeah that uh, that looked like the the infernos like the gates of hell had opened up Did yeah. you guys see that uh, there was a there's a classic video now it's a classic video I guess um, it's like I, I love when Sony Pictures Classics comes out and they release something it's like how can you tell me this is already a classic it's like that's and it actually mm-hmm. most of the things that come out on Sony Pictures Classics actually are really darn good, so I guess they have some pretty high criteria they set there. But there's a video that was out that's now become a classic of – it's either the 5 or the 405. I can't remember which freeway it is. I think it's the 5, maybe the 101, but I think it's the 5, where there is just these towering infernos on both sides of the freeway. And it literally – and there's cars, like endless amounts of cars driving right next. Were you you caught up in that as well on the evacuation
2: um, yeah, I sure was. I, I, uh, I, at one point we decided to stay here because we were kind of well outside of the scary danger area, but technically in the evacuation zone. And we stayed here and we needed to get down to the bottom of the hill to get, uh, some food at the supermarket. and We couldn't get back up, Ooh. We got locked out. Yeah. Nice. But it was, it was crazy. It was surreal
0: yeah and and fortunately uh obviously your house wasn't uh, impacted where their house was fairly close to you that were
2: no it was uh good uh several miles five miles at least, mm-hmm. okay. uh from us where there was actual burning
0: yeah well it's gotta put things in perspective i mean you are you so you've been an entrepreneur uh for a, a number
2: of years did did you
0: ever work for the man
2: no <laughs> no, I, <laughs> yeah, uh, not not really. I mean, I, when I was about 20 or whatnot, I had a few, you know, I had a few jobs here and there, but I started my, my company when I was about 27. So prior to 27, I had a few, um, a, a few trivial jobs. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Let, and let's just talk about let's just get this out of the way early here. So how, how do you meet the criteria for <laughs> for beyond eight figures? Have you exited? from a business for more than $10 million or do you currently run a business that grosses more than 10 million annually or both?
2: Um, No, I haven't done an exit. Uh, Our company grosses over a hundred million annually and we probably have a valuation um, of as much as 500 million. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're very profitable. So I get, I get money. Uh, from the company to fund the science and technology stuff that I'm passionate about. yeah and um, I don't participate in management anymore because I've been doing uh, this si- fundamental physics and science for about uh, ten years now. so so it's kind of nice because even without an exit, my company has been providing the money energy, if you will to to fund you know, a payroll of, you know, 20 PhD, you know, scientists. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a hell of a story. And I mean, we're absolutely going to dig into that, but for those then who aren't familiar with your nine figure company um, it's, it's named after you. I mean, you obviously didn't have to reach very far for the name on that. One. You're like, what should I call this thing? I don't know. I'll just call it Irwin something. So let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's share with folks what, uh, what that nine figure company is. And then let's go back to the embryonic stages on that and then we can work our way forward towards some of this stuff that is way above my pay grade just the words i'm i'm even having trouble pronouncing so but let's let's go all the way back then to the embryonic stages uh of the of the of the nine figure endeavor that you still own and run well don't own you don't run as you said on a daily basis but you yeah. obviously are still owner of
2: yes uh, the the embryonic uh, origin of how we started, you mean? Yeah,
0: let's, Uh. first of all, the the name of it, I'll just let you describe the company, the name of it, what it does, and then I want to sure. go back to the embryonic stages of you as a 20, oh, it sounds like maybe a 27, 28-year-old yeah. yeah. young man with this idea and yeah. how things grew from there.
2: Sure. Well, um, in the United States um, before 1994, there was this category called food that the FDA regulates, and this other category, which is uh, things like cosmetics, shampoo, and so supplements, herbal things. Back before '94, were um, categorized, and then there's oh, sorry, there's a third category which is drugs, pharmaceuticals. So those three categories, there was no fourth category for uh, supplements, you know, herbal vitamin supplements. So that meant that uh, the products that were sold to that industry had to be sold as foods, technically speaking, and there could be no marketing um, explaining what things do. Like you couldn't say that vitamin A is good for eye health like you can today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And at that point, herbal supplements were mostly things you'd find in a health food store, not in Walmart. Mm -hmm. With Walmart, you might find multivitamins or vitamin C. And then everything blew up in 94 when uh, Clinton signed this new law uh, that opened up this fourth category. and, And that came out of pressure because this supplement industry was starting to evolve. And I just was lucky because I was there at the right place at the right time. So that was 25 years ago. So our company was founded in that same year. So we essentially rode the tsunami of a disruptive new industry um, by being there at the ground floor, at the inception of the industry. So we have a lot of uh, credibility as a venerable brand just because we were there from the beginning of our industry as it, as it evolved. So good timing. Mm-hmm. And then what we did is we always uh, tried to remain different always one step ahead of the competition in terms of innovation in packaging innovation in marketing and innovation in product formulating and by by always being innovators we were able to to grow to one of the larger uh, one of the largest companies in our space mm mm-hmm
0: so Irwin erwin naturals is the name uh, of the company and so that's all in sort of the the supplement type yeah. world correct okay yeah and 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 so let's go back then so 94 clinton signs this uh the shea this, act the shea act okay yeah and, and it, you know it's kind of interesting i mean we'll maybe we'll talk a little bit about this because it's like writing on the wall sort of stuff i mean obviously you see what's going on in the CBD and THC space. Now it's like we're going to look back, you know, thirty five years from now and go, mm-hmm. "Geez, how did we not see that?" Like you saw this, yeah. right? So you saw the yeah. Shay Act, and you are like, "Yeah, man, this whole thing, this this is a whole new opportunity here." So you were twenty? Were you twenty seven, twenty eight at the time? How old? old?
2: twenty eight, probably twenty six, twenty seven years okay. old.
0: So you had, as you said, you had done a couple of things, working for some folks, doing some things here, there, and yeah. the other. Um, were you an athlete? Why, what, what, was, what was the attraction to this right. whole world of, of oh. supplements?
2: Well, if you go back uh, to the very inception, I grew up poor, but I grew up poor in a rich neighborhood. So in Los Angeles, there's this neighborhood called Pacific Palisades. Yeah. So the kids there went, uh, went when I did a sleepover at my friend's house in fifth grade, they're in a 5,000 foot house. And my mom and sister and I lived in a 300 foot converted motel room wow. that just happened to be in that school district. Mm. So, what happens is, and, and little kids are mean, right? And you know, if you're overweight, they're mean. If you're this, you're mean. They're just mean. You can and look so, at our
0: administration now, and say even some adults <laughs> could be pretty thank mean. You. But there thank we you. go.
2: Yes. <laughs> but uh, or some of, or you can look at our administration and say some of our adults are little kids, right? Or that. So, yeah. But but the but the um that it was an interesting pressure cooker for my psychology because it made me wanted, made me want to uh to get money. Just I mean, I'm talking about imagine I was a little kid and he he thinks he needs money because of this insecurity of having these other kids mean to you because your mom picks you up in a beat up old Volkswagen mm-hmm. and no and no kids can ever come over to your house mm-hmm. because oh my god that that would be humiliating right so what what happened is a bunch of anomalies my mom started feeling guilty and putting presents on layaway and and like New Year's for Christmas later that year Mm -hmm. because she felt guilty being on welfare, not being able to give uh, her two kids as many presents as these rich kids were getting. So we would open up like 30 presents each on Christmas and birthdays that my mom would just like pay for throughout the year. So for us, holidays meant gift giving. And so what, what we would do is we would make our gifts. So from these really young ages, year after year, you're making like 35 things for your sister, 35 things for your mom, collages, paintings, you know, statues, whatever. And it just really built up creative skills uh, at an early age. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I've recognized that to be successful as an entrepreneur, what you are is a hacker. So you go in and you see a problem, like a, comp- a competitor that's doing something better than you or stronger than you. And you've got all these problems in the company, outside in your market, and everything then becomes a puzzle to hack, a creative thing where you've got to find Waldo. What is the outside-the-box killer solution? And when And so growing up as a little kid, wanting two thing wanting one thing money right thinking that money would bring me happiness right and and then having one superpower which is creativity so i could always almost outsmart my my peers in school regardless of the of the grades because everything every way that i looked at a situation is like scanning a set of possibilities uh, that you synthesize in your mind. Like you can do it this way, but then this way would be better. And you can, you just think like that from being creative. So for me, much, much more than going to business school uh, or even the pattern recognition that I've picked up over 25 years of dealing with problems uh, in business, I think the secret weapon really is, is the ability to take idea A, B and C and synthesize them in a powerful new way mm-hmm.
0: totally totally get that and and um, i'm assuming then this applies to the embryonic stages of erwin naturals right so yeah t- totally understand where you're coming from then from from a mindset perspective but walk us through an example well not an example uh, outside of this particular example in terms of Irwin Naturals. so you're Again, a 26-, 27-year-old you know, young man, you you obviously have this desire to create wealth for yourself and bring in money so that if you do have a family, they don't have to suffer in the same ways that you felt like perhaps your family did and, and the ridicule and whatnot. So, I mean, I totally get the driving uh, factors behind that. But I, again, I just because this show is geared towards so many people who are looking to start a business and or scale a business and potentially exit, but so many are in that start and scale phase. How did you do it? I mean, there, there were no co-packers right back in, in, in 94. It's not like you could just go in and kind of, you know, white label, you know, go to a supplement factory, so to speak, that's making all this stuff. Like how did you start the business? Sure.
2: Yeah. Um, so uh, what I did is I, I bought a bunch of products uh, that were in a category I wanted to compete in within my space. So categories would be things like energy products, weight loss products, right? So I picked the category and I lined up all of the competition, but bought a bunch of competitors products and you just line them up on the table and then you start your creative synthesizing Mm -hmm. and you think, and you think, and you think, and you just think, well, what, what is making this one the top seller and what's going on here and what are the trends, what are consumers thinking about? What are the articles in these papers? And you just think you get, you basically data dump and you gather all this data and then you start synthesizing and then you try to build a better mousetrap. You think how, how can I do a mashup with these two popular trends that no one of the competitors yet has combined? And how can I combine it? And then you turn to packaging, just aesthetic. And you think, well, how can I eclipse the competition from the shelf? Right. You don't just want to compete. You don't just want to be a little bit better. You want to blot out the sun. Right. Mm. And so, um, so I would systematically do that. And each time it would be creativity that would um, give me some strange uh, outside the box. And yet, and yet, very interesting, you know, uh, idea or synthesis. For example, we had no money to do advertising, right? Because I didn't have any family members who could loan me money and I, and I couldn't get a bank to loan me money. I didn't even try. And uh, so basically, uh, you know, I had to design my own packaging. I had to go and find a manufacturer and convince this guy to make product for us, even though I couldn't give him a very big opening order and I had no financials to show him. So I had to use some salesmanship, right? Which again is creativity because mm-hmm. with salesmanship, you think about what's a win-win. What'll what's what's gonna make your potential, you know, person you're trying to convince make them happy. Like how do you do that and make yourself happy at the same time? So anyway, so we didn't have any money to advertise and I had to put my products in shelf against all these other companies, advertising. So I thought, well, what do I do if I've got no advertising? And then, of course, bribery always comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, so I thought to myself, well, a, 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 my competitors are spending 25% of their – some big percentage of their uh, revenue on advertising. So what if I – but I don't have a lot of money to do advertising all in a big uh, pulse, but I can uh, bribe a salesperson in a store – to uh, sell my product, I use the word bribe playfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was totally accepted. It's done in many industries. Payola. Yeah, it, well, but it's it's uh, it's kosher. It's ethical. It's done in a lot of industries where either a salesperson is going to get paid by the store to push something. Yeah, and in some cases, the actual product supplier chips in and helps the store pay the salesperson. But you always pay salespeople based on. How much they sell? Sell, and a lot of times you, you try to pay them more when they push products that you want them to push for whatever reason, maybe a better margin. So in any event, we we were selling a twenty dollar bottle of of of, uh, an energy, a ginseng based energy product in health food stores, and you have a salesperson making probably at the time five bucks an hour. So we said, well, what if we just give you five dollars of our twelve dollar wholesale to every time you sell this. Mm -hmm. And then we asked the owner of the health food store, would you have a problem with us giving one of your guys an extra $5 every time he sells a bottle? And of course they would always say, are you kidding me? No, that'll turn my guys from clerks into real salespeople doing their job. Mm -hmm. So, so that, uh, that was a clever outside the box way to, to actually get attention and the effectiveness of advertising, uh, on a product because you get, Get the employee of the health food store effectively to advertise and talk it up for you.
0: And, and just just so I'm clear here, and so for the rest of us as well, is it a euphemistic we? Is it just just you at this point? I mean, did you bring in any outside capital? And it was just the one product, the ginseng energy. Is that where you started? Uh,
2: no, not by myself. Um, what I did is I I designed the packaging by myself. I sourced the manufacturer by myself. I uh, ordered the labels. And uh, did all of that by myself in the first, you know, month or so, and then, uh, w- and then when it, and then I did a couple tests by going into a store and saying, "Hey, would you buy this stuff from me?" Right. And the first self food store said, "Yeah, sure." So, then what I did is I borrowed on my visa card, you know, some th- thousands of dollars, and I was able to hire um, a salesperson and a girl to pack boxes for me. Um and and do the invoices mm-hmm. uh, with credit card money, basically. And then that was the most scary time of my whole business. Because at that sure. point, I had no idea whether these stores would ever pay me. Because what if it didn't sell? And I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. So, so I closed my eyes and crossed my fingers. And then that first reorder came in and they paid for their product. And then I said, wow, maybe I've got something here. And mm-hmm. then I then I started acquiring new accounts very, very rapidly. I started, I used a factoring company to advance me money against the invoices. And we grew to several thousand accounts within months, just a few months.
0: Mm, And all the while with just one main saleswoman handling
2: this for you, you and the saleswoman? Uh, Yeah. A lot of it, uh, maybe a couple people. So Part of it was done over the phone mm-hmm. where, where we would call these stores. And basically, we would say, look, we've got this product. You don't have to pay for it unless it sells. We're going to place it with you with consignment. Try it out. It's the most powerful ginseng extract on the market. Mm-hmm. And those who would say, yes, we'd ship it and hope that they paid us and that it sold. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, Richie and Mary, I know you guys have, have questions as well.
2: Please.
1: I have multiple. I'm trying to think of which <laughs> one to go. So I'm, first off, my first job was in the health food industry. I, oh. I ended up working uh, my way up Jimbo's naturally down here. There's nice. of food, kind of like a Whole Foods. Um, so there's, there's just so many different ways I want to go with you. But what I will ask is, so when you talked about the bribe part, it's an interesting place in the industry right now because with people like Amazon coming into the game and if we think uh, Costco making Kirkland for commodity-based products was bad, wait till we see what Amazon does with basics. And so the one that I'm just going to put as a data point is I want to talk about the importance of branding um, and actually selling that brand because there's, now you have multiple people you sell to. You, you have to sell to a distributor that then sells to the store, that then sells to the vitamin clerk, and then the vitamin clerk has to sell it to a person. But one thing I noticed right away working uh, at Jimbo's was if you could get the consumer to come in and ask for it, it almost all that disappeared, right? So if someone came and said, uh, whatever, cranberries were the next superfood on the news that night. And you'd be like, damn, I wish I'd ordered 20 more cases of cranberries. So the the direct question would be, at what point do you see yourself going direct to consumer or do you ever see yourself going direct to consumer so you can control that whole process?
2: Well, I did an infomercial uh, about 10 years ago and it was it was the largest um grossing infomercial in the history of infomercials in the ingestible category we sold um about a half a billion dollars worth at retail price over about a four and a half year period mm. and uh i was getting approached in Home Depot and in airports in Puerto Rico with people recognizing me because I had so many gross impressions of my face on this infomercial selling this product. So we do have, um, that experience selling direct and it was a very, very sophisticated, um, process selling online on radio, online, all sorts of direct response avenues after marketing and et cetera. Nowadays that campaign is dead And we're not uh, doing infomercials now, Um, but what we do do is we sell uh, direct on our website. Um, But the truth is uh, our company is top heavy on retail. So you'll find our products at Costco, Whole Foods, uh, Walmart, pretty much any place in America where you would uh, see supplements, you'll find our brands in there. Um, And so as far as branding, Um, you know, there, there are, uh, so let's talk about branding and intellectual property where the intellectual property can be something like a formula, right. And a brand can just be a brand. So we make complicated formulas. So we, that we never, ever compete in commoditized things like vitamin C or vitamin E because that's the regime of these weak brands. Uh, and I don't mean that negatively, but if you look at sort of nature's bounty or something like you'd find an A to, you know, ABC vitamins in like a, a drugstore, um, the loyalty uh, about around those brands is not really the same as the loyalty around Apple mm. and, or you can go to certain food products. Mm. So um, anyway, we have this very strong loyalty because our products are very sophisticated, multi uh, herbal, very complicated formulas and what, uh, and generally we don't copy each other in this industry because if I copy one of my competitors, who's got a nice formula, uh, it's too blatant. It would, it would make, it's not illegal because these formulas aren't protected under patents or anything. But if I were to copy a, a company's formula, it would make my company look like we don't innovate, Right even if it's a good formula. So what, so what those of us at the top of the game do is we, we try to keep our own R&D really smart where we invent new combinations and, and formulas that are effective. And we also keep our, our eye on the pulse of number one, what's coming out in the clinical literature and in the magazines that's being you know, talked about for free by, by people in health magazines like Men's Fitness or whatever. And we try to tap into what the customer's already kind of educated on, like you mentioned uh, cranberry, for example, um, or ashwagandha or, you know, turmeric, right? Mm-hmm. And so what, what we'll do is we'll pay attention to that and then we'll try to come out with like a kick-ass, very effective, potent turmeric formula combined with ashwagandha and really explain the science on how they work synergistically so that's the way it will add value. But then if one of my competitors tries to just straight up copy that, they won't because they, they have too much pride, right? They don't want to mess up their brand. So that's intellectual property in a way when I create a formula. And then, it, and then it's been packaged for 25 years in this venerable brand. It's, you know, we're more expensive. We're in glass bottles. We use liquid soft gels. So over all this time, we get this brand loyalty, we make potent formulas, so we get higher repeat purchase rates. And at the end of the day, the net result of that tried and true approach that you stay consistent with is you can spend less on advertising, right? So Mm -hmm. I buy products that I've fallen in love with. And then if I really fall in love with, I become a cult fanatic of that brand and I start preaching to my, my sister about it. And she's got to get this, right? But a lot of times it comes not from advertising, right? And so that's the sweet spot is when you can basically shift, uh, shift money on your, on your uh, balance sheet from the advertising column, because none of us as consumers want to be manipulated and take that, I call that the Chipotle model. Mm-hmm. Think about it. You go to Chipotle, you go to Costco who spends nothing on advertising and if you spent 500 bucks you probably walked out with 1000 bucks worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, and Chipotle, you walk in to feed your family of 4 at Chipotle and you spend pretty much about the same as you would at McDonald's except the cost of the actual food and the labor at Chipotle is flat out 100% higher, like it's at least double. Because what they do and they spend one tenth of one dollar that every, for every for every ten dollars that McDonald's gets, let's say they'll spend, you know, uh two dollars on advertising. Well the well Chipotle would spend twenty cents on advertising. So they spend one tenth of the amount of their revenue on advertising that McDonald's spends, and yet last year McDonald's closed 500 or so stores worldwide, just like the year before where, while Chipotle opened. So the name of the game for the future when none of us are watching advertising anymore and we're going to Yelp is, is really to to start creating artisan brands that are top-heavy on cost of goods and very light on the amount of money spent to advertise the brands themselves, like a Patagonia.
1: Mm-hmm. It kind of comes back almost to that initial... Here you are, you bought all those products and you're staring at those products and you're using, you know, what label is standing out to me, what formula is standing out to me. Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of thinking early on and you hadn't even started it yet and yet you're already using that process later. I just one quick question. How much of this do you think... Because you didn't, it didn't sound like you had much entrepreneurial experience in the family. What, right? D- did you think these sleepovers actually might have more of an effect? Mm. Did you learn from?
2: Right. Other- uh, well, well, the the desire. Um, I mean, of course, all four of us know how ninety nine point nine nine percent of of people who start a business at some point in their life eventually don't have that business and are working for the man again, right? And so, so, so they're really, it's really not that complicated. There are two factors. One is you've got to have an obsessive, over-the-top, built-in drive. Like you, I had to work seven days a week. I had to fight for my life because I didn't have a venture capitalist giving me a bunch of money to burn, right? I didn't have a rich father. So basically, it was just this do-or-die surge because I didn't want to go back work for the man. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, did, and I, and I had this irrational built in desire subconsciously from being a small child that I had to get that money. Right. I didn't. And, and then, and that, and so that fueled me like rocket fuel. The other thing that you have to have, I mean, if you want to make it big and be, be a, be an unusual, you know, one, you know, that unusual percentage of entrepreneurs, You can't just have the brute force of hard work and desire. It's just not that alone. You've got to have an X factor, right? Elon Musk had an X factor, but other people have worked just as hard as him. So I had this X factor, which was the ability to synthesize ideas into new ideas that have never existed and, and ideas that were good, because if you synthesize a bad idea, you know, it, it flops. Mm. So I had that ability, and I think I got it from art. Also, I'm really good with words, and that helped me be good in sales. So all my jobs before 27 were in sales, and I was always the best salesperson, and I didn't need to have any background in the topic. Literally, company to company, I was just always the top. And I thought, why would that be? And what does that have to do with Creativity. So my mom read to uh, my sister and I like four books every night, chapters from four books every single night. We'd follow the words like starting at age five and you're reading along, but I'm talking like 90 minutes of reading every single night. So I got really good with manipulating thoughts because words and stories are really painting pictures with thought. So then as soon as I started going into sales, I would sell the newspaper subscriptions, you know, as a 10 year old, I would knock on doors and sell the subscriptions and the other kids would deliver them on their bikes. Cause I was the one who could take an adult and paint a picture on why they should buy the subscription to this, you know, newspaper. So yeah, I think all of those things for me converged, the creativity, the extreme obsessive hunger and hard work, which led to really, really backbreaking hard work. And then the ability to, um, you know, like with that hunger, you have to win. Like you cannot accept failure. It's, and then the creativity allows you a pathway, you know, you fail, right? I, all the, all my ideas didn't work, but you just keep churning it out. And as long as you can have 51% or greater, you know, hits, you can, you can absorb the 49% failures, mm-hmm.
0: And so, and, and just just so we're clear on this, going back to and thanks for all that insight. Going back to the the scaling process of okay, now you've got it in these stores. Yeah, hopefully, they pay you. They start paying you. You get into more stores. Who was the first? You've got the salesperson. I understand that was obviously in a very important hire, and you've got the girl that's packing the boxes. But going from a cute little five figure business to a six figure business is a pretty substantial jump, six to seven, massive seven to eight. Most people don't get there eight to nine, forget about it. Right. So, you know, as Richie likes to ask, something probably had to be broken in order to get from five to nine figures, right? Like you you couldn't do what you were doing to get to nine figures as you were doing when you were at five. So two Uh questions, so two questions around that Who, who was the first like really key hire that helped you to scale, and then the second question is: Was there a particular initiative or something that happened for you that in, that that really empowered the business to scale? So, uh, something had to be broken, you know, perhaps an initiative, something else that helped you to scale, and then who was that first really key hire?
2: So I'll answer both. We didn't have to break anything in this case. It was more of a process of you fake it till you make it. So you're figuring it out. You're just freestyling. You don't know what the hell you're doing, and then you just keep busting and moving and improvising. And then you get up to the next level where you're at four million in sales, and you start having to fake it till you make it at that level of of operational sophistication. But my first hire, my first hires included this guy named Mike Berg and this person named uh, Rebecca uh, Pearman, and what what they did is they were sales. So the people I was hiring were salespeople to go out and place this product because I had this scheme. Now, remember I made a very potent product mm-hmm. because I didn't have any advertising and nobody knew the name of the brand. I needed to make sure, you know, like a drug dealer that the first time you give them a dose, they've got to come back, right? If you're selling hamburgers, you need that first experience to be mind blowing for the the customer. Mm-hmm. So that plus the, plus the bonus of $5 for a salesperson who's making $5 an hour. Yeah. And uh, so that and this really neat packaging that stood out, which it costs just as much money to make an ugly label as it does to make a gorgeous label. So anyway, all of that together uh, was a little bit of a winning formula. And the only na- And I knew this because the first several stores that took it, it sold through and they mm-hmm. took more. So now I thought, all right, how fast can I scale? So we started doing this over the telephone. So in this way, a salesperson could call dozens of stores every single day. Mm -hmm. And there's no sign up. There's no money. There's no risk. The store just has to say, all right, fine, send it. I'm not going to pay for it if it doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, you better come pick it up because I'm going to throw it away. Mm -hmm. And we're like, no problem. So I start doing this at a rapid pace and I got this, this guy, Mike, and, and this lady, Rebecca. And then Rebecca steps up at one point and she says, hey, um, anything you need me to do, I'm, I'm your girl, I'll get it done. So I said, okay, yeah, I could use help on the operation side. And so she became this first person to help me hold, you know hold down and hire people and start really organizing it. Because at this point, you've got a girl packing stuff boxes and you got this other girl who's doing the invoices, right? So pretty soon we need to add another person packing boxes. So we got up to about three, uh, within about 18 months, we're up to about 3.5 million in sales annualized, all to just health food stores. Then we get approached because of our good looking packaging by a chain store, a big chain store. And we're like, Oh, shit, what do we do? We're having to talk to all all of all of our team. And like, we can't even sell to them. Like, we don't even have enough money to build the inventory. So it's just fake it till we make it. So this whole business was started in my apartment in a townhouse in Culver City. And so then we moved to this 2,000-foot office about, you know, three months later. And uh, then from there, we moved in, you know, several months later to a like a, a 6,000-square-foot space. Uh, and just kept going. But yeah, those are my first two hires. And, uh, and that, and that, and, and we factored invoices. So I couldn't get a bank to give me a line of credit against my receivables. So I paid through the nose, these usurious fees to factoring companies. But the, but that, but in that situation, they got me, they got me out of it because that, because I was scaling so fast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And then today, how how many SKUs do you have today? And then we'll go into some of the more current stuff. And I know you got your book Pain Nation coming out and, you know, and uh-huh. so on, so we can talk about yeah.
2: you know about uh, that I'm, as well.
0: But, but how how two, many SKUs do you have right uh, now?
2: I guess about two hundred, perhaps. Oh, you have now?
0: Wow! And those are all unique formulas. All oh, so yes. you're not in any of the commodities, C's, A's, D's, no. any of that stuff. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah
1: I was going to ask a follow up to that question. Yeah. Where do you see the supplement market going? I mean, are we going to different foreign lands and finding an interesting little weed-type thing that outside uh, of CBD? Yeah. To
2: formulate uh, more unique products? Well, we don't really go out ourselves and scour the world. Um, the world and these substances are kind of coming to us, so you'll get people who will write a book uh, or an article and in some magazine about something and it'll start to kind of, it's like a meme on the internet. A new substance will start to take traction in the market and uh, uh, in social networks and books and media, or it won't. Um, and oftentimes, you know, things that work really interestingly well will get more traction. Other times it could be the luck of the draw cause some, something like Dr. Phil will talk about something, or it'll be a big book that just hypes up some new diet or something. But but generally, um, we, we, you know, we have like PhD, you know, formulators and we have in, in the early days, I would do the formulation myself. But uh, nowadays, we just try to stay uh, up to date on all of the new nutraceuticals, as we call them, that are hitting the scene and that have really robust science behind them, because we don't want to just join a bandwagon on something if it doesn't really work. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, point really well taken. And uh, if you're inclined to share, and then then we'll talk a little bit about more of, uh, of some of the other things that you're so into, uh, quantum gravity research and so on. But if you're inclined to share, we'd love to know in terms of the margins, in terms of the bottom line here. Are, you're are you still the only owner? Did you ever take on any other partners at all? No, I'm I'm the only owner. You're the only owner, and yeah. do you, so is there an employee stock option? pool are there dividends like how how are well these... okay
2: there was a period where we went where where we be where we were a publicly traded company on oh, the net on the nasdaq big big exchange but that's a convoluted and long story but the short short version of it is that uh for about five years we were publicly traded and we changed our name at that point to omni nutraceuticals during that period mm. i went public by doing a reverse merger yep. uh, into uh, a company that was publicly traded called for Health, and they were failing because the operator uh, was not really as good as me in business he was a mm-hmm. really ingenious product formulator way better than me and he could formulate great products but he wasn't really the kind of operator that I was so basically the people at Allen and Company in sure. New York and uh, Tony Robbins who wanted to be involved with this deal they all basically tried to convince me that I should do a reverse merger into this company in Boulder called 4Health and close down that company and consolidate operations in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Proforma, on paper, it looked strong. But uh, then what happened is uh, being public was um, not productive for me because 75% of my time went into market making, meet, you know, doing conference calls with investors, and quite frankly, getting excited when the stock would take an uptick. Sure. And the thing that was not helpful about that is it put my eye on this funny money, whereas prior to that, it was on real money. Mm-hmm. Buy something at one price, sell it at a higher price, and cover your bills plus some profit. It was really simple. Yep. But when the stock can go up by forty million dollars in one day, just by talking about something, it 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 feels real because your net worth yeah. just went up, right? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but the, and then there was uh, infighting basically with this other guy who um, wasn't the good operator but the good formulator, and then he wanted to control the board. And there was you know, and there was a year where I was out of the company, and we hired the C, the president of GNC to work. Uh, as the ceo of our company and they basically ran the company uh into the ground by flipping its balance sheet upside down put Mm. us under massive debt that we couldn't even serve service uh even though we were profitable from an operating standpoint so then what happened is they asked me to come back in and uh and turn around the company and um couldn't pay off the big debt that they had taken on because of the burn rate they created. Mm. And so what I did is I raised some money and I bought the company back from uh, out of bankruptcy effectively. So you don't have to go bankrupt to be in a legal state of bankruptcy. So I said Mm -hmm. to the bank, look, you guys effectively own the company. You just haven't foreclosed on the assets yet. Let me pay you this because this is what you'd get in a liquidation. Mm -hmm. and and, And I'm sorry, you're not getting all your money. You know, yeah. and so I, they made the deal. I took it back private. And uh, that was about, um, you know, 20 years ago. Well, wow. yeah, you know,
0: you get down, just get blinded by that dot com light, by that IPO light. I mean, the whole yep. nine I've been through, we won't you know, go yep. through any of that here. But is it safe to say that now, given where you're at, is it throwing off seven, eight figures just oh, to we're, you? We're to- nine, nine
2: figure EBITDA. But I'm uh, right. I'm talking about oh, just wait, wait, in terms nine, of... nine, uh, nine figure. Hold on, too many zeros for me. Yeah, we make over ten ten million in in uh, in EBITDA, so eight figures, and uh, that's enough to uh, to to put me in my gorgeous clothes that I wear, <laughs> not so gorgeous, yeah. uh, and, and pay the scientists really, which is what I want to do is just do the science.
0: Yeah, and so pain, nation, sick, stressed, and all fucked up is CBD the cure. The, uh, the new, so is that book out or is it, it's coming out? It's out. Yeah, it is out. It out. Okay. Amazon yep. or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so this uh, obviously is near and dear to, to your heart. Uh, just talk briefly about that. And then uh, in the last few minutes here, just about what you're doing over at okay. uh, QGR.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, well, I've uh, been selling herbal nutraceuticals, obviously for most of my adult life. And I have never seen anything like CBD. Mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot of amazing herbal medicines and things that can help people, and I've made, and I've made a, a fortune you know, in that business. So this CBD thing comes along two years ago, and I start paying attention, and what's all the buzz about, I'm wondering. And when I really started looking at it from a scientific point of view, I realized that it was very different than everything else. So this endocannabinoid system was discovered in the human body of, in the 1980s, and it's like the immune system, it's ubiquitous, and it produces weed molecules. So your body makes these weed molecules called uh, cannabinoids, and, it, and when you produce a cannabinoid in your body, it feeds it into uh, a receptor site called an endocannabinoid receptor, and uh, then it basically activates a balancing mechanism in your body. So when any two systems of your body are not talking to one another properly, if that happens for an extended period of time, the system in this, or the super system will tend to malfunction and malfunction of a system in your body is what uh, the medical in, uh, community would label as a disease. So it's just a simple way to think about what disease is. So this endocannabinoid system is very, very crucial, just like the immune system because we're always being invaded by pathogens and the immune system is super crucial. We're always getting out of balance. The endocannabinoid system is what puts us in balance at a literal way. I'm not meaning a new age phrase Mm -hmm. when I say balance. So anyway, so then why would we need to take cannabinoids from uh, cannabis or hemp? Uh, Well, it's the similar reason to why uh, a person who can't produce enough uh, uh, insulin needs to take supplementary insulin because they've overtaxed their ability You know to produce insulin and by eating too much sugar and so are you eating too much stress i am because my my genetic forefathers were meant to lay around most of the day and only spring into action sometimes and have very very little mental stress i stay connected to my iphone 24 7 i'll literally be in the bathroom and i'll be processing emails My idea of relaxing is watching the last episode of Game of Thrones at night. That's my relaxation time. But my whole nervous system sees that as an emergency. And only (laughs) only in the seven hours maybe – that I sleep, am I getting some relaxation where I should be relaxing almost all the time? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's about to change for us in this modern society. We're getting more wired and connected. For sure. So, so, can, so, so, and and we got a lot to worry about as we watch the world apparently falling apart around us around the globe. It's scary. It's worrisome. So, so, CBD can calm us at a physical and mental level. And we are a country that we're four and a half percent of the globe's population and we single-handedly consume 80% of the world's prescription opioids, amphetamines and antidepressants. That's weird. Does that mean we're more in pain or more depressed or whatnot than the rest of the world? Maybe, but not that far. So we got, you know, so that's, I got into it as a sort of philanthropic thing because when I look at what's going on in the political conversation, uh, I get worried, you know, I got two kids, two teenagers and I get worried because I think, wow, the world really could go to hell in a handbasket over a tipping point easily. If this fear-based, instead of focusing on problems and helping one another, if we're focused on circling the wagons and mm-hmm. fear, it could go south on us quick. So I figured the CBD, if we can get it to be as ubiquitously used as caffeine, perhaps it can be a tipping point in and of itself. Yeah.
0: You know, it's uh, it's interesting, and, and just the the work that you're doing through quantum gravity, uh, gravity research and so on, I mean, just in all the different initiatives that you're involved with, I mean, it, Lord knows if we have more time, those would be some very interesting discussions there as well. Uh, we're going to have to let you go here, though, and and Clee, and, and by the way, I, I think I said your name earlier, but now that I'm thinking about it, I may not have actually introduced you properly Uh-oh. as Clee. Irwin, who is who we've been talking to now for the last hour here on uh, on Beyond Eight Figures, but you know, really, uh, really, really interesting discussion. It's funny because on the last episode of Reinvention Radio, we talked to an entrepreneur who has fourteen different things going on, and you know, just throwing all the stuff up against the wall. And if it sticks, he'll double down on it. If it doesn't, he cracks. Like you know, just yeah. a completely different approach. Yeah. And then you got a guy like Cleo Irwin here, who just went all in on on one particular you know niche market. And and back in the '80s, it was a niche market. I mean, it was yeah. just in the embryonic stages of that world. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you've been able to evolve and and move forward here over the last you know few decades now. But it's just it's just a it's such a refreshing approach to business where if you find something that you do really well and you have a lot of love for it and you can create your own sort of incomparable type of, of product where it doesn't, you know, it gets you out of that commodity game and you're not competing right. on price. And it's just, just a really refreshing conversation. So really appreciate you sharing Thanks. your approach to business here. And of course, encourage everyone to go check out uh Clee's book. And by the way, by the way that's K L E E. And then Irwin of course is I R W I N. So check out pain nation six stressed and all fucked up is CBD. <laughs> the cure. Love that. And uh, of course, check out uh, all the products at Irwin Naturals and so on and so forth. Uh, best website for folks to go to, where, where do you want people to go, Klee?
2: Well, our website uh, is irwinnaturals.com and you can see the book, uh, Pain Nation on Amazon. Yeah. And uh, oh, and Quantum Gravity Research, since we didn't get a chance to talk about that, you can, you can go to YouTube and uh, look up a video called What is Reality? Mm-hmm. and our video would come up. I probably had 6 million people watch it or wow. you can go to quantumgravityresearch.org.
0: Awesome. All right, my friend. Thank you so much, clearwin Irwin. And thank you, Richie. Thank you, Mary. Thanks, Wade. Thanks, Kelly.